What's up, everybody? This is the Salty Nerd. Thanking you for tuning in to the Salty Nerd podcast. Today we had a really great episode. I sat down with Kadish and Matt and we discussed the Joker. We talked about uh, some Star Trek news. Uh, We talked about this movie on Netflix that we all kind of decided we should watch and regretted it afterwards. Um, And we had a lot of fun doing it. So please enjoy this episode. Keep in mind, I made a, a grave mistake when recording my side of the audio um, I have a directional microphone that will only pick up a very small cone of sound uh, to keep the echo away from, you know, three people talking at a table. And uh, mine was pointed in the wrong direction this episode. So my audio sounds a little echoey um, because it's bouncing off the wall and hitting the microphone from the other side of the room. So please forgive me for that. Um, Matt and Kadish both sound just fine. So hopefully it's not too distracting. Hopefully you can still enjoy the discussion that we had. And uh, we can have a lot of fun talking about it, and you guys can uh, can comment um, and uh, and get back with me on Twitter how bad my audio is. Um, but let's just uh, dive right into it. Keep in mind, today's episode is brought to you by, as always, Organically Wonderful. You can go to organicallywonderful.com and check out their product lists and all the stuff that they have to sell. And if you want to buy something, that's great. Go ahead and do that. Support the podcast. And uh, you can get 15% off if you type in SALTY15 at the checkout counter. That gives you 15% off of your entire purchase. So without further ado, thank you for listening to the Salty Nerd Podcast. <clears throat> this hot tea is making me give hot. Yeah. Do you want me to? I can turn that fan off. Hopefully oh, it's you're fine. Right. It'll, it'll go away. Okay. Welcome back to the Salty Nerd Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Joker, the phenomenal movie that just hit theaters and is making a big splash in the pop culture world. And uh, we will also be talking about Star Trek Discovery trailer, uh, Star Trek Picard trailer, and we will be trashing a Netflix original movie that we wasted two hours watching. <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. That was my fault. <laughs> and okay, I'm joined <laughs> I'm joined today by Matt Vader seventy four and Matthew Kadish. Welcome guys. How you guys doing? Doing good. Good. Alright, so let's just jump right into this because we are known for not having any fluff on this podcast. Oh no, can't have any fluff. No fluff. No fluff. No just, cold opens. No. Just straight into no it. No music. No sports talk. <laughs> Nothing cool. We're not talking about no sports. beating around the bush. <laughs> So, Taxi Driver 2.0, I mean, uh, Joker movie. Um, what'd you guys think? Matt, I'm going to start with you because you are the most knowledgeable and I feel like I'm going to be able to bounce off your ideas when you tell me things. I'll write notes and I'll cheat. just go over to the other room play with the dogs for a while. Okay. Yeah, how long is this podcast? Uh, so, just give me your general thoughts. Uh, you don't have to really explain the plot. I think most people have seen it. This is going to be spoiler heavy, by the way, people. Just real, real. Yeah, so if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want it spoiled for you, don't, don't listen, listen to, this. to this podcast. Just go watch it and then come back and listen to it later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what are your thoughts? Did you like it? Did you love it? Uh, this is a type of movie that Hollywood hasn't been known to make since like the late 70s. It was raw, emotional, well-told, well-acted. It was a character piece. Um, you know, it, it was... Um, I, th- I think... Uh, <laughs> Red Letter Media said it best when they said it was Baby's first taxi driver. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like it heavily influenced by Scorsese um, and just a, a great character piece. I walked out of that movie thinking about it for like two, three days afterwards. And to me, that's the mark of a, of a classic film. I think that Joker 
in my opinion, is a modern classic. And so I, I greatly enjoyed it and I want to see it three, four, five more times and, and really dissect it because there's a lot in this movie yeah. to talk about. Yeah, we could do a whole episode just breaking down the We themes. could do like We actually could do that. We could we, do a comparison. We could between. do like 20 episodes yeah. on this movie if we wanted so, to. Uh, what did you think, um, what was your favorite part? Was there an element to it that you liked or a scene that you thought was really phenomenal? There were there were lots of scenes that were phenomenal and lots of things that I want to talk about. But probably the thing that stuck with me the most was the final scene in the insane asylum where uh, Arthur is talking to his, uh, his um, therapist. Yeah. And he's laughing and she's like, what's so funny? And he's like, I was just thinking of a joke. And she says, what's the joke? And it cuts to like an extreme close-up of Joaquin Phoenix's face. And he just kind of smiles and he says, you wouldn't get it. And for some reason, that moment, like that's the moment in this movie that just like stuck with me. But there was, did, did you see Todd Phillips' comment on that very scene? He um, Where he said it was the first genuine smile. Yeah, that it was the Arthur first genuine makes. smile, the first genuine laugh. And it was a pivotal moment in the movie as far as he was concerned. Yeah, like there's a lot to talk about regarding the ending of yeah. this movie. But like um, there was just something about uh, Phoenix's performance in, in that one moment. And uh, just the, the way that the dialogue was delivered. And just there was just something about that scene in particular that I found so poignant. And uh, that was the thing that really stuck with me. And so I'm going to say that's my favorite scene. Cool. Very good. Matt, what'd you think? Um, I left that movie with all kinds of crazy emotions going through my head. You know, I'm not really used to seeing movies of that caliber in film in the theater. You know, it's Mm. just like all I go to is popcorn movies and superhero movies and movies with people shooting laser guns and stuff. And so, to uh, see a comic book movie, which isn't really a comic book movie, that's so heavy and deep and a deep dive into uh, you know a person's mental stability is 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 a uh, it was it was it was different. You know, I didn't really quite know what I was thinking when I left the theater, other than I just saw a uh, modern piece of art. It was yeah. great. You know, I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm I still, I'm still, I'm still, it's still percolating up in my head. You know, this is going to be for a while. This was the first movie that I ever. Um, you turned around and went right back into the theater. <laughs> you I saw did. it back to back, back to back. Yes. Uh, well, I'll explain what happened in a minute. But I wanted to say is I was like I was. We were sitting there. It was uh, me and Kadish went together, and then I had a friend of mine come with me. And uh, this was the first movie that I had ever sat through the credits knowing that I wasn't going to see anything extra. I just sat just to absorb right. what I just watched and absorb the, the music that was playing during the credits. I was just like, I was in amazement. And the cool thing about the credits is they did it old school. Yes. Or like the, the lettering was projected and they actually filmed the projection and then they superimposed it on the film. Yeah. like Just like they used to do in the 60s and 70s and yes. the 50s and stuff like that. I noticed so. that too. It was very classic Hollywood. Yeah. Everything about it. It was really and cool. You guys, you guys really annoy me. <laughs> you didn't notice that it's like well no he goes oh I sat through the credits and just absorbed the ambiance and the excellence well, of the film you know what I did I was the first person out of the theater well, well Alex did that I sat there because I was hoping there was an in credit scene did you really yeah no, I knew there wasn't I knew there wasn't I was just sitting just kind of like 
thinking about well, I, I didn't know if there was or not so i was like i, I just on the off chance that there is i want to no wanna i looked it up here. and i knew there wasn't yeah. i was just i was just like no i i, I wasn't taking in any ambiance i was oh. just, i was uh, <laughs> i was i was starving <laughs> and, and I really wanted to hit that 99 cent Taco Bell menu on the way So I was hungry. There yeah. you go. Now on Mickey D's, when you buy any crispy chicken sandwich or quarter pounder with cheese, you'll get a free medium fry and free medium drink when you order on the app. So do you have the app? How are you going to get this deal if you don't have the app? I know you have a phone. Anywho, if you have the app, enjoy your free fries and drink. If you don't, you can't see me. But know that I'm shaking my head. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Limited time only. I participate in McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. <laughs> uh, I think... I'm just trying to think what my favorite part was. Um, I don't even... There's so many things to it. I, like, I think the the musical score really struck me. The, the actual Joker's theme was very was a, distinguished. Yeah, and, very good score. Fantastic. And very, I loved how it kind of... It, it evolved with him, with the character. If you notice in the very beginning of the movie, it starts out with a particular instrument. I don't, I'm not a, I don't know cello. about music. It was a cello. Yeah. But it was a muted almost. It was kind of like held back a little bit. And then the mm-hmm. farther into the movie you get and the more kind of crazy the the story gets and, and the farther down Arthur goes into the insanity, it was a more full uh, expression of the of the song and his character. And I thought that was awesome. I was like, I don't know. I normally don't pay attention to that stuff. Maybe it's because I've been listening to that soundtrack show with uh, whatever that guy's name is, D.W. Collins or something like that. It's a great podcast. If you guys haven't listened to it, check it out. Um, but I noticed that immediately. I was like, oh, that the song is progressing with him. And I, I like the elements of, in the beginning of the movie, you see Arthur, when he has to go home from work or when he's traveling someplace, he goes up the stairs very like just beat down like he can't do it every step is a struggle every step is painful for him and then about halfway through the movie when he has his break and he gets fired from his job he's going he there's never a scene of him climbing up at that point every scene that you see him is going down the stairs it's always down he's dancing and he's happy and it's like a whole different character he's the the physicality of the character was um uh, very interesting in in this movie because yeah, at the beginning of the film, like when he's walking home and he's going up those stairs, like he, he's like hunched over, mm-hmm. he's like limping, like like he just looks like beaten down by life. And then as uh, he kind of progresses more and more into the Joker, you see him like standing up straight mm-hmm. and and dancing around and almost like like prancing and stuff like that. And um, it's just such a testament to walking. Like if he doesn't win an Oscar for this performance. The whole thing is rigged because oh, yeah. because he was. This is probably one of the most tour de force performances I've seen, not just all year, but probably all decade. Like, like this was an amazing performance on his part. I I I felt a little sorry for Joaquin Phoenix, knowing the as a method actor that he is. You know, you know, he put himself in just absolute mental craziness to, to play this role because i know these guys they they deep dive into these characters and he had to like put himself into like it's probably this really crazy place yeah well, to be able to pull that role out you know and you know and um this character is known for that jack yeah. nicholson told Heath yeah. ledger like you be careful when you're doing this character mm-hmm. it messes with your head and unfortunately we all know what happened to heath and right and the next one that took it on was Leto, where i, I mean there's some crazy stories about suicide mm-hmm. squad and the things he was doing on set like just wacko stuff and then you have like we, uh, Joaquin, which is it's yeah. it's a 
what yeah. I, the biggest thing for me is the laugh. We can talk about the laugh. Like, oh, talk, God. Let's talk about the dancing first, because you mentioned dancing and how the character had yeah. a lot of that. Well, I mean, I mean I've been thinking about the dancing a lot. Todd um, Phillips said that Arthur is a character who has music in him. That mm-hmm. was his quote. Um, yeah. And you can definitely tell that. Any chance he has uh, a moment to himself or a moment of reflection, he just starts dancing, which I thought was really an interesting thing to do. What do you guys think about the scene right after the subway shooting? Where he goes into that bathroom and just does this kind of weird interpretive dance. What do you guys, what do you think about it, Cage? Well, one of the things um, about the Joker character, you know, from the comics, is like he's he's the world's deadliest performance artist. <laughs> you know, like the character is is someone who um, thrives on spectacle. It's not just enough to be psychopathic and murdering someone. It has to be public and it has to be uh, kind of over the top and showmanshipy. And that's part of um, the Joker's mo is is that um, it, to him uh, it's a performance, uh, you know, murder, uh, crime, all this stuff, and that's always been one of the hallmarks of the character. And you know, uh, in my days of digesting this movie, like one of the things that I was thinking about, I was, I was like, what was the deal with all the dancing? Yeah, you, you know, be, because you know, on its surface, it's just like, oh, it's it's like a weird cool little thing that they threw into the movie but the more i thought about it and the more i kind of like looked into like the interviews and stuff like that that the actor and the director did um the more it kind of became clear how uh the movement uh you know the character dancing reflected the transformation of the character and and as alex said uh todd phillips said that his interpretation of arthur um was that you know he has this music in him and uh he has this kind of innate um drive to entertain to perform to be a performer like he wants to be a stand-up comedian he wants to be a clown he wants to have an audience that appreciates him and um you, you know there's that one scene where he like he gets the the gun and he's in his apartment and he just starts dancing and he like kind of like role plays having a conversation with someone you know, at a dance club or something like that, where they're Does like, "Does that mean you're crazy?" Because I do that sometimes. No, <laughs> um, but he, so like he, he's sitting there and he's like, so he's he's sitting there or he's standing there and he's dancing and he's kind of like role playing, talking to himself and saying like, "Oh, you're such a good dancer." And the first time that he really does that, it, it's after he gets the gun, mm. you know. And so like the this like weapon of violence kind of inspires uh, him to kind of you know let this music out of him and and have him start doing these movements. And then like the moment he shoots the gun, he like freaks out. But then the subway scene happens and he goes into that bathroom after shooting those three guys. And he's kind of, you know, panicked at first, but the, uh, then like, you know, he starts hearing the score. He starts hearing Mm -hmm. that music, that haunting music. That felt good. Yeah. And, and, (laughs) and, and he starts, you know, doing the dance and it's a performance piece right and it, it kind of signifies that every time the joker you know that who he truly is this alter ego of his comes out it comes out in the form of a performance and uh i found that just to be like a really fascinating like aspect of the character that the filmmakers uh you know decided to focus on because you, you know it really showed like every time he dances in the movie it's it's like oh 
that's the Joker right mm-hmm. there. The Joker's coming out. The it's Joker, the real character. Yeah, the, the, real the Joker's Arthur. coming to the forefront, and, and the Arthur that was at the beginning of the movie is kind of regressing. Yeah, yeah Arthur's going away, and Joker's yeah. coming out. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very poignant. It's very... What, did you, what did you think? Of it? Did you like the dancing, or did you think it was a weird way of? of showing I thought that? it was. I thought it was a little weird, but but you know, I picked up on it. You know, especially at the end when he's walking down the steps hmm. to the to the. Uh, yeah. The, the Gary Glitter song, I forget the name. Yeah, can of we it. talk about that? That was sure. a really weird choice. Yeah, I found it kind of jarring. It took me out of the movie for a minute. <laughs> I was like, "This is like a, high, a football game. What, yeah. What's going on here?" I I thought it would have been. There was a, a scene in the trailer where I think they used a um, a song by uh, Louis Armstrong. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. It's yeah. Same. Same anyway, day. they did a song with that in the trailer, and it was fantastic was a great way of doing that scene and i thought that right. was going to be in the movie and instead they did this like football cheering hoorah <laughs> song i was like that's a super weird choice it's probably the only element in the movie that i didn't like i thought that was i, I was kind of like i wish they would have went a different way but it is what it is so whatever see I, I mean i think it was appropriate in the sense that um so that's a a song that that's used um you know for an audience to get an audience pumped up well, and it, I, used, it and, used to be a song they used, and I, I feel like I feel like um, that was the song that the the character was hearing in his head when he was down there because, like, right. you know, that was you know there there was no actual music playing that he was dancing to, but like that was what he was hearing when mm-hmm. he was dancing to it, and um, I, I just think that um, you know, especially like considering that this movie takes place in 1981, uh, timeline wise. Um, like the that's the type of song that you would hear if if you're you know kind of going out to get jazzed up about get yep. get ja- get an audience excited about something you know yeah I mean I understand what you're saying I just I don't know for some reason it just kind of took me out of the movie for a minute and I the second time oh I never told the story about how I went the second time so I got out of the movie with Kadish and uh, we talked about it in the parking lot for a few minutes kind of discussed our thoughts and then we were gonna leave because it was almost like eleven something it was late and. Uh, as I was leaving, walking to my car, my friend of mine calls me and says, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I just got out of the movies. I was going to go home. And he's like, what movie did you see? I'm like, Joker. He's like, I want to go see that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah? He's like, yeah, it's showing it like right now, like in five minutes. You want to go see it? And I'm like, eh, sure. So, <laughs> so I just turned right around, right around, went back to the same theater, bought the two tickets, and then I met him there. And we went and I, I sat down and I watched it a second time immediately after watching it the first time. And uh, I was so tired that I didn't get, I didn't get anything extra out of it. I probably got less out of it because I was just sitting there like trying not to doze off, paying attention to the movie. But um, yeah, I thought that's the first time I've ever done that. That was pretty. Intense. I don't. I don't know if I could have done that. <laughs> I, don't, I probably shouldn't have, but I. I didn't yeah. have any excuse not to. Like my wow. buddy calls me and says, "Hey, you want to go to the movies?" I'm like, "Yeah." yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've done that many times. <laughs> I think I think my brain would have said no. You're not going to torture me again like this with all this craziness. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I did that with Terminator 2 the first time I saw oh, it. Oh, well. That's that's an interesting thing you said the craziness about this movie, right? You see yeah. all these people on on Twitter and 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 the reviewing world and all the these mm-hmm. critics and stuff like that talk about how disturbing quote and unquote how, critics. Yeah, quote unquote critics. <laughs> how disturbing this movie is and how horrifying it all is and how dark and this and that and I'm like I I don't know, maybe I'm just callous to it or yeah. something, but I was watching it and I'm like, I, I didn't see this as being any better or worse than I you know, I didn't I enjoyed that movie. I did, don't get me wrong. It was a great movie. Yeah. I didn't feel good when I left the no, theater. No, it's not a good feeling movie. 
agree you know, it's it's not a movie that I would have like instantly turned around and went and seen. I would have told my friend, uh, I'll go tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, uh, it's just one of those movies that you need to go sleep on and let it, let it, uh, roll around in your head and think yeah. about it for a little bit first. I'm, just, I'm talking about like the disturbing element of it. Like I'm, I'm comparing it to other movies that I've seen. Unfortunately, it, I've seen human centipede. Oh, that's I, a disturbing it's not movie. like, that's a bad movie. Like not bad movie, but it's just like, I don't ever want to watch that movie again because it disturbed me. I, this, this I went into this movie is, not really knowing what to expect because of all the stupid media articles. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute. You know, but there was no mass shootings. There was him defending himself on the subway from three assholes. Yeah. And his psycho moment at the end. That's it. Yeah, it's really all. Really? Well, I guess the guy's in the apartment too, but. That was a but, revenge thing for yeah. sure. I mean, he went yeah. crazy. I'm not, I'm not defending what he did, but the, the subway, definitely the two, the, the first mm-hmm. two killings, I would call that self-defense. Sure. One of the great things about that. The third that, one that, was an execution. Yeah. One of the great <laughs> things about that scene is like, you know, Arthur... Like whenever he's Arthur, uh, he's kind of inept, you know, like where, right. where he accidentally shoots the gun. And then there's that scene where the police confront him outside the hospital and he like kind of tells him off. But then immediately he walks into, in, the, in, in, into the, <laughs> the glass door. That was so funny. Um, but like when he's when he crosses that line into Joker, he's, he becomes like hyper competent. Mm-hmm. And the subway scene is like the first um, kind of inclination of that where. Like the, his 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 intended victim is in a different car. Like he ran away, and Arthur is at the the door to the subway, and he's kind of checking outside. And he's looking in, and he's checking outside, and he's like lying in wait. And the minute that guy runs out, like he he's on him, and he like guns him down. And you know it's kind of the same thing when uh, he's going to the the Murray show, and the cops find him, and he you know evades the the police in that way. And so like. It's a very interesting dichotomy there where Arthur Curry is this kind of inept, um, fumbling, like, uh, fool, basically. And Joker is, is someone who, uh, when, when, when he's in control, he um, basically just does everything right. Right. So what, there was something that I noticed. So, like, he gets the call to go on the show. And then he rehearses what he's going to do with with the host goes through the whole spiel except at the end he puts the gun into his head yeah. and pulls the trigger now was that his intention or was the thing killing the host at the end was that you know where's where's the line where so I think if you remember in his notebook he had a he had a very deep engraved etching mm-hmm. in that it said I hope my death makes more sense than my Life, right? Which he spelled sense wrong. Which sense is as in money? Like I hope it makes more money but, than but, I do. But that I, was his his way of making it a joke. Yeah, that's his way of joking. Which I don't think anybody else would have got except him. Which is probably one of the reasons why he said that line at the very end. Um, but I I think his intention was to to off himself as right. a spectacle. That's that's to show how like, I took it to say his message about about society and about how they mm-hmm. treat the mentally ill, and then to just kill himself to make sure that he drives that point home. Right. But I think in the moment he got angry and he took it out on uh, on De Niro's character. I don't think he was planning on making a statement about anything because, like you said, he's not political. He doesn't think about things like that. I think it wasn't a political statement. Though. It was more of like a just a, a worldview. No, it was it was the punchline to the joke that like he he wanted his death to 
be the punchline that people uh, laughed at. You think so? I mean, I that's mean, a really interesting way of looking at it. I, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, I mean, this is a guy. All throughout the film, we see that he doesn't understand humor. Like, there's that scene of him in the comedy club where he doesn't yeah. know when to laugh, and he's taking notes about what people are actually laughing about. And you know, he has this condition where, like, he'll just laugh uncontrollably because he doesn't. He, he has brain damage, and he doesn't know how to express his emotions in any other way than. I, I, I took laughter. I took that as when he's upset and angry. That's when he laughs. Well, I mean, you know, just when he doesn't know how to express uh, yeah. other it's, types of emotion. It's almost embarrassment, right? He starts doing That's that. part of it. It's yeah, embarrassment. Yeah. But it's anytime he has some kind of an emotion that he can't control. Right. So Arthur Fleck doesn't understand comedy, doesn't understand what's funny. And so, like, when you see him rehearsing his, his appearance on the show, you know, because he's a sociopath, he doesn't understand human, basic human interaction. So he's copying what this guy who was actually on the show was doing. And he sits down, and when he says, do you want to hear a joke? Um, you know, that's when he says, like, knock, knock, and then he pretends to, like, shoot himself. And the whole point of that is is that, to him, that's the biggest punchline that he could come up with that was original for that joke. And to him, that was what was funny. And that was going to be the, the thing that he went out on. And uh, But that was still Arthur Fleck doing that that wasn't quite the joker mm. um so to, to me that's just the 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 basics of the, the character which is like he you know he he views the world in such a radically different way that it's hard to understand what it is he's, he's after and so you can read all these um, intentions in, into his actions and his presentation stuff like that kind of like how murray was doing at the end there where he, he's like are you making a political statement and to the joker it's just like no Okay, so let's let's talk about the laughs real quick because you mentioned uh, we already kind of mentioned it. Let's kind of break it down for people who are listening. He has three distinct laughs. He has the laugh that is um, a byproduct of a condition where it's uncontrollable. It happens when his emotions get too high and he can't deal with it and he doesn't know what to do. His brain right. makes him laugh. And I noticed uh, to credit Joaquin Phoenix's performance that that laugh was such an iconic laugh because because it was physically painful for the mm -hmm. for him to do and it, it brings a whole new realm of why the joker laughs right like we all know mark hamill's laugh we know heath ledger's laugh every, every joker that's been around has had an iconic laugh this one was so different and so unique from all yeah. the other ones it was it was fantastic i loved it i loved how it was like just this physical ailment that he had he couldn't control and it made him hurt and like breathe heavily it's awesome and then he has the next one um, where he's, you were mentioning Kadish about him in the in the um, comedy show, where he's trying to mimic how other people laugh, but he does it at the wrong times. Terrible, it's terrible comedian. Terrible yeah. timing, <laughs> and he laughs at like he, <laughs> you know, he laughs at the wrong. time. I'm not going to mimic trying to do that. <laughs> he laughs at the wrong time, uh, as opposed to when everybody else is laughing at the punchlines and stuff like that. And uh, that's him trying to fit into society in this awkward, weird Arthur Fleck way. And then the last one we talked about was what Todd Phillips said was the only genuine laugh was at the very end where he kind of smirked and chuckled at his uh, right. therapist or that's the actual, he was laughing at something. You're like, oh, there he is. Yeah, there's the real <laughs> laugh. So I thought it was a really cool way of, of showing the the literally three-dimensional character that is Joker in this movie, Arthur Fleck. I thought that was so cool. What'd you think about it? What was your favorite one? I'll put it that way. Was my favorite laugh? Yeah, your favorite laugh. Because my favorite laugh is the one is his 
the one that's his physical ailment, his mental illness that makes him laugh like that. I thought it's my favorite because it sounds so out there and crazy. And it's also one that I think would probably be the most difficult to do as an actor. I was like, that's fantastic. Well, I thought conceptually the idea of him having this kind of, you know, mental ailment that caused him to laugh was brilliant. I thought that 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 gave a, an aspect to the character that, um, you know, we hadn't seen before. Right. And and it, it kind of gave a reason why the, you know, the character of the Joker would, would laugh like that, you know. Um, so, I mean, like, I don't know if I had a favorite one because, you know, each each one was kind of like distinctive. Um, but there's there so many aspects to what they did with this character, like the unreliable narrator aspect, the uh, mental and um, emotional uh, um, turmoil aspect of it. Like the fact that we quickly learned that there, we can't trust our own eyes in this movie um, just leaves everything to interpretation. And that's, that's one of the great things about this is, is that, you know, um, you can look at everything the character does in this film whether it be his laughter or, you know, his murders or his performances or, or what have you. And, and you can question it and you can, you can say like, it, was this really what I thought it was or was it something right. else? I found myself questioning quite a few different scenes, especially with the girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. Let's and, roll into this because that's and, our uh, next topic anyway. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. It's all you. Um, oh, all me. Good. Yeah. Go yeah. Like I have so much to say. <laughs> um, no, it just, when they introduced her, I go, oh, this is this is going to be interesting. This is going to be a, a a quick look into crazy town with this with this girl, you know. And I I kind of enjoyed how the story he told took us out on a little date with them and stuff. And you find out it's all in his head, you know. It, it's it's really interesting. And then when he came back after the the uh, was it the subway incident after then he went up and yeah. hid in her apartment and. and you figure out real quick. Oh, that was none of that really happened. Uh, no, that that happened after <laughs> he killed his mother. I think that was okay. Correct. Yes, that's right. And um, it just it was just a a fun trip into his brain with this girl. You know. Yeah, I I, I called that one the yeah. first time when he went back and kissed her. Yeah. The reason why I sure. knew it was fake I, immediately, I was like, "This isn't real," is because he wasn't even done knocking on the door mm -hmm. before it opened and she was there and. Number two, she's only met this guy like maybe once, yeah. and he walks in and just starts making out with her, and she's like, "Yeah, okay." Yeah, like, I think that doesn't the, happen. I think the That's only the only two real scenes were the initial elevator yes. encounter, yeah, and, then and the, the last one. Yeah. The, the yeah. sad part about that is that we've come to expect that as like a norm for Hollywood to to do in the story, where uh -huh. it's like the bad guy would just show up and start making out with this girl, and she'd just go along with it. Yeah, and it's also like. I think all of us, like when we saw that scene where he goes to her apartment and she opens the door, he just like kind of takes control and, you know, like, <laughs> like he, he just, he's coming off the yeah. high of murdering three no. people. And, <laughs> and so like he's, he's super jacked up, he's confident and he goes and like, he just like kisses this girl and she just goes along with it. It's like, that's a very Hollywood thing, yeah. you know, like we've seen that in other movies. And so like, I think all of us, when we were watching, we we're like, okay, that's dumb, but it's a movie, so we'll, we'll go along with it. Sure. That thought did cross my mind. And then that <laughs> that eventual reveal where he, you know, he's at his lowest point and he goes to her apartment. He just kind of walks in and sits down, and she come she comes out from the child's bedroom, and she's startled, and she's like, "Who are you?" Yeah. Or oh, you're that guy from down the hall. And then like we we see that you know she like his his relationship with her was all in his head, um, all that time. Like that was 
probably one of the greatest like reversals I've seen in a movie in a long time because like it did a really good job of kind of like leading you down one path and then just pulling the rug out from underneath you. It was a really good scene. I I liked that scene a lot. Um, The acting was great though. Just the her, you know, being startled at him being in her apartment was pretty good. But my question about that scene, did he do anything to that family? It's not insinuated. It's not shown. I don't think he did. But we never see anything after that. And we don't... I don't know. For some reason, I got this weird feeling that something happened after the the, well, the camera cut. You know, Joker, he only ever um, punished people who were bad to him. Right. And I don't think she was ever really bad to him. Yeah, but could he see her because he thinks what he had a relationship with her and then all of a sudden she doesn't know who he is? Do you no, think he, I, I think like in, in that scene, I think he knew... That everything that he'd experienced with her was like not real, and uh, and so like I don't think he did anything. I, I just think that 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 was illustrative of his of his um, mental condition, hmm. you know. So, okay. so like he, you know, not since Fight Club have we seen a movie that kind of utilizes the unreliable narrator quite as good as this film, I think, and they do it so well. That you have to question every single thing that you see in this movie, right. even the stuff. So, like, there, there's like the subplot where uh, it's kind of implied that he's Thomas Wayne's love child. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. This whole episode might just be the Joker because we're already at 30 <laughs> minutes, and I'm not even close to being done talking about this thing yet. Yeah. yeah, but but there are elements to that where it's like you're led to believe one thing, then you're led to believe another, but then there, uh, you know, despite the fact that that other thing that you're set to believe that he was orphan, that he was adopted. And, and uh, you know, abused as a kid and his mother was crazy. Um, even that, there are elements after that's established and accepted that kind of make you believe, well, well wait a minute, uh, that could be a setup. He, like the, the, the first thing about him being Thomas Wayne's love child could actually be real. It's like I'm not 100% convinced that he's not half-brothers with Bruce. Okay, so <laughs> I, I, have I, mean, to, I have to talk about this because <laughs> this is probably one of the biggest... Like, this is not a comic book movie. If if it wasn't the Joker, it yeah. would still be an amazing movie. It doesn't have to be based in Gotham with the... I mean, it's basically a taxi driver. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I have to watch Taxi Driver There's, a couple more there times. There was just enough... There's enough about like aesthetically and and kind of a little bit thematically, but I I feel like those two characters are so different. Well, I mean the characters are different, but it, it's a it's a character study, and just the fact that it's it happens to be the character who's the main villain of a, the world's most famous superhero, um, it it kind of misleads people as to what the movie actually is, and and so like it's it's more Taxi Driver than it is Batman. It's more Taxi Driver. Yes, uh, than that's, it is, that's true. You know, I'll agree book. with that. But I just I don't see the 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 characters are so different, and I feel like the the direction that they go with Arthur Fleck is is not the same as in Taxi. Like the two, I don't know. There's well, well they're two, they're two different characters, but the the way that they examine the characters is very similar in okay. the sense that they they deconstruct them. They show you all the different aspects of their lives and what they do in their private moments and and how they kind of go down one path and then are you know led down another path. And um, I'm not saying they're the same movie or even like you know the characters are similar. I'm just saying that the way the story is is structured and told is very similar. Okay. All right. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, I want to get nerdy because this is getting nerdy. This is nerdy stuff about Batman, right? Okay. When they revealed, I, I don't care if people think that it's not real or if it's all in his head about Thomas Wayne being his father. Mm-hmm. I want to believe that that part of the story is true. Because it changes the dynamic between him and the eventual Batman. Oh, it absolutely does. And I 
freaking love that. Like the idea that Batman is now somehow f- uh, related to the Joker, either half brother or whatever you want to call it, that changes everything we know about their back and forth. Mm-hmm. Why does Batman not just off this crazy lunatic? Why does he always keep him alive and just put him back in jail? Maybe he knows that it's his brother, and he he has some kind of a familial connection to him. He doesn't he can't bring himself to kill him because he knows who he is. Or that could also be said, why doesn't the Joker kill Batman? Yes. Because even Batman may not know that that's his brother, but the Joker does. Yeah, so anything along those lines just made me nerd out. So it was amazing. I was like, yes, that's freaking awesome. That brings a whole new meaning to their relationship in the in the comics and, and all this stuff. I just thought you it was know, super cool. Something that kind of hit me watching this movie was how much of a negative light that they put Thomas Wayne, Thomas Wayne in. Okay. I've never, you know, you never really go into Thomas Wayne and the whole and all the Batman mythos before, really. So I think but, and going back to him, you know, he's a he's he's not a good dude. You know, you know, he's he's, a, he's, not he's, not this version of it, this version. <laughs> right? Like right. in the in Batman Begins with the Nolan uh, trilogy, he was mm-hmm. very much kind of like the the hero of Gotham. Just, he was yeah. trying to help. He was trying. Well, to he, do good he was also a doctor, a doctor in that yeah. one. But like you know, it is funny because in this one they made Thomas Wayne very much like a, a Trump stand-in. Yeah, okay. that's true. Let's. I, I normally don't get political, and I try not to, just so I don't alienate people who are listening. But we're going to have to talk about that because it's so obvious. So yeah. The, like that, he, he's he's a billionaire industrialist. Right. He's someone who basically gets into politics, and he uh, you, know, you know the character um, kind of looks down upon the common man. And yep. there, there are a lot of political undertones. And like it's actually a very left leaning movie if you if you go into very the, much yes. into I, I like the, the classism and stuff like that. Yeah, but, this is Occupy Wall Street, which yeah. is a left leaning. But but the cool thing about this is like the character that we're following himself is above it all. Like he's removed from it. He doesn't care about the politics, even though, you know, I mean, Todd Phillips, he's, he's a major lefty and, and there are elements uh, of, of Todd Phillips political leanings in this film. But what he does interestingly is like, there's no propaganda. There's no political messaging. There's no preaching to the audience. It's not preaching. It it, it, definitely has a message. They're, they're used as story elements and uh, the character that we're following, the main character, um, has no part to play in it. And I think that because they're able to walk that tightrope, um, that it, it all works. Like, I wasn't, you know, taken out of the movie at all by any of the political subtext. No, I wasn't I either. totally agree. But it is a very, uh, it's a commentary on the left-leaning, kill the rich, uh, you know, equality for all, that kind of message with, with like Antifa and stuff like that. I very much saw Antifa in the, in the oh, yeah. clown movement mm-hmm. 100%. I was like, okay. Occupy Wall Street, yeah, Antifa. Occupy Wall yeah. Street, all that stuff. And uh, and the guy, the main guy on the subway that gets the most screen time, it looks, he looks like Donald Trump, Trump Jr. Jr. Yeah, I was watching this. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus Christ, they're not even trying to hide it. He's got his slick back hair, his stupid little suit, and he's walking in there he's being a douchebag. I'm like, this is kid, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, like, and, it and, was so obvious. And Thomas Wayne, like, you know, if they had just made his skin a little bit more orange, it, <laughs> I mean, like he's wearing the same type of coats that Trump yeah. wears and, yeah. and stuff like a little that. Spray tan would have done yeah. it. Um, yeah, it totally, it totally has that messaging, but it's weird because. I, I we all kind of agree on the same uh, things typically as if you know we don't really care if there's a political message as long as you're not beating us over the head with it and I, I have to give credit to Todd Phillips even if he is very left-leaning and you can tell that there is left-leaning messages in this movie it doesn't beat you over the head because the main character is so separated from it all like it's there and you can tell it's there but it's not just like Here's my politics in your yeah. face, you know. Before we before we go too far down that rabbit hole, though, I, I want to go back to um, the whole Thomas Wayne being 
Joker's father right. thing. Did, real quick, Matt, did you have any uh, comments on the political Just, stuff? you know, that Antifa turned into Joker's minions kind of uh, cracks me up a little bit. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it is kind of interesting to see how Joker <laughs> got his minions yeah, uh, in this movie. But um, going back to, to you know the Joker being Thomas Wayne's love child, um, I thought one of the best scenes in the film was the scene where Arthur is interacting with Bruce. You know, where, where he he goes to Wayne Manor and he sees Bruce playing, and he kind of does his Charlie Chaplin magic trick thing. And and you know what's interesting is like the character of Arthur Fleck, he's almost like uh, Michael Jackson in the sense that he has this innocence about him when it comes mm-hmm. to children, and he just he likes children, he likes to entertain them, and that little scene between him and Bruce where he's like doing the magic tricks and and stuff like that, I thought was was very fascinating because it, it was it was a genuine like good moment for both characters, and then it's ruined by what I assume is Alfred. Uh, they never uh, say his name, but uh, he comes in and he starts being kind of hyper protective of Bruce. I would be too. Yeah, dude has fingers yeah. in his mouth. I'd be like, oh, "What yeah. are you doing?" <laughs> this crazy ass clown guy is breaking is breaking into my fence. Yeah, yeah. yeah but um, you, you know what I also found very interesting is like if it was the case that Arthur was Thomas Wayne's son, uh, the thing that fascinates me the most is like knowing how Batman ends up. Thomas Wayne basically sired two hardcore sociopaths. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just on opposite sides of the moral spectrum. Uh, the thing about Batman is, is like he is just as crazy as the Joker is, but he's crazy in a uh, different way. And so, like you know, um, his his moral code uh, is the thing that prevents him from being a supervillain, basically. And uh, you know, I, I just I, I find that very interesting. That um, if that is the case uh, in this movie. That uh, the character of Thomas Wayne is is the one who like his, there's something wrong with his genes, you know. Like, like <laughs> he he he, well, he he sires these crazy uh, people. This is that's true, but isn't Arthur Fleck's condition? An, uh, this is the moment that almost made me cry during the movie. I don't normally cry during the movies, but when I saw the the old newspaper newspaper clippings of him as a kid being all beat up and. Yeah. they were explaining how he was tied to a radiator while his mom's boyfriend was beating him and stuff like that, and that's what injured his head and that's what caused most of these conditions like he wasn't crazy before that was he well so the interesting thing about this is like he's on a number of medications at the start of the movie yeah and then when the city cuts the funding he loses his medication he goes off of it and that's when you start to see his real self emerge and his real self yeah he's a sociopath but he's not crazy and that's that's the thing I liked about Heath Ledger, Ledger, Heath Ledger's Joker and the Joker in general is like, the Joker himself is not a crazy person. In fact, you could say like he's he's hyper sane, and because he's so intelligent and because he's he sees things in such a clear like almost like Sherlock Holmes Moriarty like super focused way, everything to him that he sees in the world is is like a joke because it's. He doesn't see reality the way other people see reality. He sees yeah, the abs- matters. He sees anarchist. the absurdity in everything. He's an anarchist because he's so smart, and and that's one of the things that you know kind of puts him on the same level as Batman is because Batman is, is hyper intelligent too, and, and and he's hyper observant and and he maybe kinda, that's the gene that Thomas Wayne puts down. <laughs> it, it, it's it's possible, um, but 
you know, this isn't a Batman movie and the, the Batman origin story, even though it's told in this film, it's almost incidental. Um, it's, it's really about, you know, uh, this character and, you know, how he comes to terms with who he really is. And so like to say that he's crazy. Yeah. He has mental problems. He had a brain condition, but the character that emerges by the end of the film is, is not crazy. It's, it's the character that he always was that was repressed by the society that he ends up helping to tear down. Hmm. That's a good, I like that. That's a good take. Yeah. Um, all right. We're at like 45 minutes talking about this movie. So let's do some final thoughts. Matt, do you have any final thoughts you want to talk about? Anything, what you liked, what you didn't like? No, nothing. Huh? No, I'm good. Okay. I, I don't know what to say after all that. <laughs> okay. Oh, man, I, um, I, I, think, I think Kate has covered it pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Can, can I take Matt's time? Because I have lots of stuff I want to talk <laughs> well, about. Yeah, <laughs> we can't go on forever about this. But, but I mean, like, there, there's just so many things, not only from like a story standpoint or an acting standpoint, but also on, on technical levels. Like, this movie was shot um, very much like a movie from the late 70s, early 80s. You see the vintage Warner Brothers logo at the start of it. Um, the uh, the look and feel of Gotham City. That's one of the things I wanted to touch on was like they actually make Gotham City a character in this movie mm-hmm. uh, that in a way that I haven't seen in any other Batman film. Um, oh, I, I'm sorry. I just you were talking about Gotham. I watched a Vanity Fair video with Todd Phillips um, and he was talking about the sign, or maybe it was Red Letter Media. They said the sign said everything, everything must, must go. go yeah. And then they literally beat the main character over the head with the plot of the movie. And I was like, I don't understand well, well, what the, they're talking the, about with the that. Theme. Um, the well, theme. Well, I'll go into that in a second. But, um, <laughs> this is just going to be a Joker episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, I mean, like, like the whole thing about Gotham City is very similar to what they did with Taxi Driver, where New York City w- was a character in the movie. Um, because you got to remember that in the context in which Taxi Driver came out, no movie like Taxi Driver had ever been made in Hollywood. And this was part of the counterculture film movement uh, that was taking place in the late 60s. Because up to that, movies were were shot in studio for the most part. They were all very well controlled. But something happened in the 60s where Kodak developed a special low-light film that didn't require as, as much lighting to, to get exposure. And so that allowed Scorsese to actually like go out on the streets at night on location without having to like lug around like big heavy lighting rigs and, and shoot this movie guerrilla style and actually show the city for what it was at the time. And Taxi Driver also showed violence in a way that wasn't typically depicted in, in Hollywood and stuff like that. And so like contextually, there was a lot of stuff, a lot of ground that Taxi Driver broke that made it such a seminal, like, standout film. And it felt like Joker w- was trying to emulate that in the sense that, you know, like, they they had, like, the low lighting. They had the the dirty streets. They had, you know, the, they, they did this great thing where they talk about the garbage strike. And there's yeah. just piles of garbage Storage. everywhere yeah. in Gotham. It's like San Francisco. And, and they use the exact <laughs> same style of cars that are used in Taxi Driver. Like, yeah. the police cars. Like, yeah. you look at the police cars in Taxi Driver. They're the exact same cars used in this movie. Uh, the graffiti-strewn subway, the dirty subways. Um, it was like, almost overly so. Like, I was looking at it. It's been a long time since I've been in a subway, but that subway was like... Well, it, it was the most accurate depiction of the Gotham City from Batman Year One that I think I've seen on film. It, it was it was absolutely fascinating what they were able to do with just the, the mise-en-scene in yeah. this movie. The lighting, the cinematography. The, the what? Mise-en-scene, everything that's on the screen. Like the, the, the setting, the costume. You and your big ass this words. This is film Kingish. school for us. Me, Jesus. Me and you. I'm just sitting over here. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> Do you have anything to say, Matt? Uh-huh. Nope. Nope. <laughs> yeah. so, so in addition to the, like, you know, the, the setting, uh, the acting, the, the costume, stuff like that, 
um, there's a lot to talk about in terms of themes. Yeah. Um, and you know, red letter media did talk about, um, the, the sign at the beginning where it says, you know, like, uh, Arthur is in front of a store. Uh, it's a paying gig where he's basically uh, dressed up as a clown with the, the sign uh, for this business that's going out of business and it says everything must go. And he's doing the, the sign spinning thing to try to, I hate those guys. Yeah. But he, yeah, uh, the sign spinners, they annoy me. Well, red letter media stated that that was one of the, the, themes of the film that was on the sign was that everything must go and when you think about it in terms of deconstructing the character of arthur um, fleck uh, basically as we go on his journey throughout the film uh, he slowly sheds every aspect of of himself that we saw at the beginning like he you know he kills his mother he uh, loses his job he uh, you know uh, um, he abandons his uh, father figure stuff like that. And there's just so much there that by the end of the film, he's gotten rid of everything that was Arthur Fleck and he's he becomes something new. Well, yeah. See, that's, that was, that was that's one of those things where I can't tell if people are just reading too much into it or if it's legitimately well, you know, something that they purposefully did. I, in the I, film. I saw that same Vanity Fair um, video that you did. And it was basically Todd Phillips kind of dissecting the opening scene of, yeah. of the movie. And I think that, that he is a director who put in so much thought into this movie that I can see stuff like that being legit. Um, be, because like what, you know, when I was directing films, uh, I, I would put in subtext in, into my stuff that I was like, well, I'll get it. And if other people get it, that's cool. And I do the same thing with my books where I, I'll, I'll layer in stuff that, you know, if, you, if you're thoughtful about it and, and you're a close reader or whatever, you'll pick up on it. Which brings me to the last thing I want to oh, talk about with this movie. Oh boy! <laughs> I, don't get me wrong; I could go on for, forever. I know you could. It's all right. I enjoy listening to but, it. So. But we need we need to talk about the ending. Okay. Yes. Well, that's my probably my favorite scene. The ending with the therapist. Yes. When he walks out and his footprints are blood, I was like, "That's freaking Joker." Well, here, here's one hundred percent. That was amazing. Here, here's the thing. I kind of touched on this with Matt a few days ago. That almost blew his mind. <laughs> um, but the ending to this movie. This is probably one of the best endings to a movie I've ever seen. And so so we know that Arthur Fleck is an unreliable narrator. We know that, you know, throughout the movie, uh, he sees things that aren't really there. Um, there are things that are implied that, you know, may or may not be true. We don't know what to trust. And at the end of the movie, he's in this mental institution where, like, we've seen flashes of it before at the beginning of the film, right? Where he was locked up. Quick note, if anybody didn't notice, the clock... On the wall said 11.05. It was also 11.05 when he was getting yelled at by his boss in the same scene where we have the flashback. So he's talking to his boss and then he flashes to when he was in the mental asylum. The clock was the exact same time. Okay. I don't know if that means anything, but I noticed it. So kudos I'm to I'm sure me. Matthew will clue <laughs> yeah. us somebody, in here in a somebody second. Somebody smarter than me can read yeah, into that. <laughs> well, so, so we know that he was in a mental institution um, when he's talking to his social worker. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, you know, he was let out and he's on meds and he's like, you know, going in for these mandatory checkups and stuff like that. And at the end of the movie, we assume that it takes place after, uh, you know, the events of the film that he was arrested after, like, you know, he shot and killed uh, Murray on the on the television and that he's uh, being evaluated by this uh, this therapist. And he's sitting there, and I talked about this being my favorite scene where he he's kind of laughing, and she's like, she's like, why are you laughing? And he says, um, oh, I was thinking of a joke. And she was like, you know, uh, what's, the what, what's the joke? And he was like, you wouldn't get it. So what if the entire movie 
was the joke? What if it all happened in his head? I don't like that idea. I know you don't yeah, like that idea, either. but it, there there is grounds to make that argument. Now, there's also grounds to make the argument that, you know, that scene also took place before the events of the movie. And there's the argument that that scene took place after the events of the movie. So there's all these different, like, arguments that could be made for how the real ending of this movie is. And it 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 opens up a lot of room for debate because this could be the situation where if they don't want to link this to the Batman canon, that's their way out where they can say like, oh, it was all in his head. Yeah. I don't but, like that idea because that's the same as these movies that are like, oh, everything was a dream and the person wakes up and none of it actually happened. Like, well, what's the point of me spending freaking two hours watching this yeah. film then? But, I mean, to get an idea of if, this character. I, yeah, I get it. But if that happened to any other movie and it wasn't like as good as this one, we'd be like, what a cop out. Bullshit. But, so but, like, bull crap. Yeah, but, but, you know, it, <laughs> it, it's a statement that the movie is good. Like if you look at a movie like Inception where it has kind of a similar ending where it's like, oh, I don't know what's real or what's not. Um, th- there's that that's the mark of a good ending to me is something that sticks with you and something that people will talk like people are going to be talking about and debating the end of this movie. Uh, ten years from now, I hope not because it was. I don't know. I read it pretty straightforward. The parts, I, of, I, the parts of the yeah. narrative that were fake were him and his girlfriend. There was a couple other scenes that may or may <laughs> not have happened, but the the majority, the cusp of the movie, was all really what happened. And this is why we have yeah. But a it's the, it's like the same joke. thing. Like you know, was the ending of Fight Club the real ending? Was the ending of uh, of uh, Blade Runner? Uh, was he was Decker really a replicant? You know, like. There are these open-ended questions that this that this movie poses that leaves room to be studied and to be debated, and and that's one of the things that's going to keep this movie alive long after it leaves the theaters. Is people are going to sit down. I mean, th- this is a movie that you could study in film school, like yeah. le- legit, and uh, and you know, film theory, and even from a writing perspective, this movie was incredibly well written. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure that the script was kind of sparse. Um, but well, you know they, they brought so much to it in the terms of directing and the acting. Before this movie had come out, there was rumors flying around, of course, as always, with like Screen Rants and Vanity Fair and stuff like that, that the, the script was being rewritten as they were shooting. And that kind of freaked me out because typically when you hear that, that's not a good sign. No. And usually movies that end up being bad are because they were just kind of hodgepodge together. But it turns out that this one was freaking phenomenal. And the, the one of the scenes that they said that was scripted was when he went into the bathroom after the subway shooting. He was supposed to go in there, wipe off his makeup, hide his gun, kind of like do the typical like, oh crap, I need to do something so I don't get caught. And then they changed it and they were like, that's not that's not what, what should happen right now. And that's that rewrite on the scene, rewrite of the character that I thought worked out for the better. Yeah, the the, the whole dancing in that bathroom yeah, was, was something that happened the day of. Pretty much ad lib. And, and you know, it's okay to, you know, do... The, do those changes in, in terms of... We hear of, JJ says he's rewriting Rise of the Skywalker. We're like, oh God, it's going to suck. Well, I think that's different <laughs> be, because if you look at, at the Joker, I think it was very um, very clear to, to quote Heath Ledger that they had a plan. You know, like like they went into this movie with with a finished script that... He had a very similar line on the Murray show. Yeah. He was like, do I look like a clown? That What did he say? He had not a plan. It was something else. Do I look like a clown? I, I, I can't I, remember, I don't remember what he said. The line was... But, but I think it was obvious they had a script to go by and then they were able to kind of like spin off with that. And I think Todd Phillips' background in comedy where like when when you follow up, you know, something that just comes up the day of, I think that really helped him with this. And I got to say that I think that 
uh, Warner Brothers should just give Todd Phillips his own Batverse. Like, let him do a whole bunch of movies like this. Absolutely, I agree. You know, like, I like my, my my I know you disagree, well, but it would be a my my fantasy would be like the the next movie he does is called Bruce, and, <laughs> and we we see like you, you know Bruce Wayne, you know, growing up becoming Batman, just just like we saw Arthur Creek on Joker, and then the third movie we see Batman and Joker face off. Like that would be my ideal scenario here um but todd phillips trilogy todd I mean, phillips the way, trilogy. The way it you're work. saying it, it, it sounds amazing but i don't i don't want them to franchise this because it's it, it hardly ever works out in the favor of the viewing fans who are like oh this is gonna be great and they watch it and they're like yeah i mean even nolan couldn't pull it i didn't like uh dark knight rises i thought that was a whacked it, out movie it, it was terrible and i think part of the reason for that was number one he ledger died and that kind of put um nolan's future plans for the 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 franchise in turmoil. And I also think he was just tired of doing it. Yeah. Like, so it, it felt very I don't want to see that happen. I like this movie. I think it was fantastic. And I think it should probably stand on its own. And this, if that's what DC's plan is, is from now on, they're just going to do standalone, cool character movies about their, you know, comic book characters or more power to them. do it. Yeah. Well, you don't have to franchise but everything. I, I love, Not everything has to be the MCU or the, or a trilogy or, or that. Just have a I, really good standalone movie and let it stand the test I of time. I love the Gotham that they created in this movie, and I love the characters that they introduced, and I would love to see more of that explored like, like i'm not saying that they have to franchise this but i would say like give todd phillips the keys because like this was not a, a big budget movie yeah you know like they could easily the million dollars something they said uh, whatever it is by hollywood standards it was low budget yeah and like what uh, you know give todd phillips the keys to go off and and do more stuff in this world and see what he comes up with like i would just love to see more of what he has planned for this because i know that the red letter media guys were kind of down on todd phillips but i gotta say like you know, I really liked War Dogs, which was his last movie. I, I've liked his his other films, and, and the fact that he was able to basically make a, a character piece like something that we haven't seen from Hollywood in a really long time, and do it this good, I think the guy's got some chops to him. I'm very impressed with him as a director and as a storyteller, and I would love to see more come from him in this world. I can see that. I appreciate that. I just I just don't want him to try and do what Hollywood does to movies. <laughs> Um, all right, so enough gushing. Uh, let's let's be a downer on a movie that we all three decided <laughs> to watch. So we we <laughs> discussed as the salty nerd team. We discussed watching some original movies uh, that may not be in the spotlight and uh, that people might not actually have heard of. So uh, uh, Kadesh picked the movie. It was called In the Shadow of the Moon. It's a Netflix original starring the guy from the Predator. latest Predator <laughs> and also the guy from Narcos. He's the main the main cop from Narcos, not Pablo Pascal, the other guy. Can't remember his name. I should have looked it up. Um, well, well there, there's Dexter in it. Oh, and Dexter's in it too. Yes, um, and Michael. Uh, I forget his name. And Bokeem Woodbine. Is that the black? Either name? way, I don't know. The movie wasn't good enough the for me. Remember, remember who was in it anyway? It so. sucked so bad. Man, you, you, you didn't even finish, or you didn't even. No, well, I stopped at the first time shift. <laughs> And then I watched the rest of it last night because yeah. I knew we were going to talk well, I'm about gonna it do a, I'm going to do a quick rundown on what the plot <laughs> yeah. is. Basically, it's a it's a detective movie crime. Uh, these killings start happening, and there's some kind of subplot reason why these <laughs> killings are happening. And it turns out to have something to do with time travel, where this person is trying to off particular people to stop an ending event, which uh, I think is a terrorist attack in the future, like 15 or it's a it's a 20, civil war. 24 years in the future. There's a civil war, and they're trying to stop that war from happening, so they go back in time. And kill a bunch of people who have something to do with starting. It's the Terminator plot. Yeah. It's the Terminator yeah. plot, but it's way... they're they're killing all the little strings from this yeah. uh, 
little yeah. weird white supremacist group or something, right? Yes. So basically, it's the alt-right, and there's this guy who's writing a newsletter that's inspiring uh, various people around the country to kind of join this radical ideology that leads to a terrorist attack that inspires a civil war amongst the quote-unquote good normal people and the far-right people who uh, hate government or Those something. Yeah. Dirty all right. So, so this is it tried to be a sci-fi movie, but it skipped all the cool sci-fi stuff. Yes. Uh, it had no explanation for how they were doing what they were doing or even why. I mean, besides the very basic, like, hey, we have to stop these people. That wasn't told you until the very, very end of the movie. Well, there's moon cycles every nine years. Yeah, then, of course, and then that was never know. brought up again. And then there's a bunch of dead <laughs> pigs flying around in the back of a van. And I was like, the hell am I watching? No, I was, mean, I mean, even by Netflix original movie standards, this was bad. This is so bad. Um, it, it wasn't fun. It wasn't. Fun I thought watch. we were getting a cool like. Uh, vampire movie or something i did too yeah it's like what is this trash yeah. i want i want a vampire to a time traveling vampire that's that what i be, wanted that would be this cool. is not what we got it no, it's, no. It's, it was, and, and i call it was not good. the 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 twist spoilers for this dumb movie don't watch it but spoilers anyway <laughs> um there's a uh there was something that happened the character ended up being related to the main character the main uh, the time traveling character was his granddaughter i called that they were related i thought it was going to be his daughter but it turns out to be his granddaughter. From, so whatever. I, I missed it by one generation. But I knew it was somebody. It was his offspring in some way. I was like, oh, it's going to be his daughter. His wife died while they were, she was giving childbirth. Yeah, the, the his killer grows up. And she tries to go back in time and kill the people that might be responsible. Because mm-hmm. we don't know about the the um, the radicalization, the terrorist attack until the very end, right? Well, right. no. They, they had that scene at the beginning that kind of foreshadowed oh, it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, but they didn't really they didn't give it any context it or anything. Yeah, there was, it was just, just an explosion. Oh, something bad happened here and then we gonna, so, we're going to yeah. go back 30 years It was now. just so yeah, bad so. at explaining why we were watching this movie and it gave you 99% of the movie was just like down and dirty boring detective work yeah. that ended up not paying off. It was like watching a bad like cop show on yeah. NBC well, at 10 o'clock. When I, when I first heard of this movie, it actually sounded pretty cool because basically the premise that I had heard was that there's this police officer who killed a serial killer uh, in the 80s and then like 10 years later she comes back and she's killing people and he has to hunt her down again and figure out why she isn't dead. And I was like, that's kind of a cool idea for like, you know, a, a mystery thriller type like the thing. the first 15 minutes. Yeah. And, and, and then like, uh, you know, they uh, added the this time travel, time travel element to it where basically the killer is going back in time while the main protagonist is going forward in time. So we're seeing it from his perspective, but she's experiencing everything backwards. But the thing that kills me about this movie is just how freaking lazy the <laughs> it was thought through. Like, like all the time travel stuff doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of this stuff makes any sense. Like uh, basically the, the way that she kills people, she has this device that stabs them in like a, a three pronged. Yeah. It's thing. like a, it's some kind of injection that they get yeah. in the back of their neck. And basically it, it, that isn't the thing that kills them. Someone in the future has to hit a button to detonate whatever they're injected with. Yeah. So like the, the only way I could justify it is, is that, in in the the time stream, okay. If she's going back in time and, and she's killing these people, that's going to change the future. So they can't change the future up until they hit that button. And then once all those people are dead, uh, the future is erased and then something new happens. So like they have to do that. However, that doesn't make any sense in the context of this movie because all the people die at different times. They right. don't all die at once. 
And so like, so that didn't make any sense. Also the guy who invented time travel, which is based off the moon's gravitational pull. I kid you not. Uh, <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, it, for, for some reason it's like the, the, the moon's gravity changes every nine years. Every that nine creates years like, like, like a 30 minute time window. Yeah. There's yeah. a gap in the space time continuum. And where she's can, in this like little she, contraption bubble thing. And, yeah. And it, She's yeah. like surrounded but, by but water. But the guy it who doesn't make any sense. And she gets she gets out of dry. The guy who invented, yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the guy who invented the time travel, somehow knows what's going to happen. And yeah. so, so like you know, we we first see him like he goes to the police. It was uh, in the eighties, right? No, uh, he wasn't involved in the 80s. In, in the 90s, he, he goes to the police and he's like, I think that your case might have something to do with what I'm working on. And the police are like, you're crazy, go away. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, like, we see him, like, uh, kind of working on, you know, like, the, the time travel stuff. And for some reason, he knows about the Civil War. He knows about all the people who are involved in it. He knows that the person traveling back in time is working for him somehow. Never explained. Uh, never explained. It doesn't make there's, any sense. There's just so many little things in this movie that are bad. Like, like uh, using the Kodak Insta camera things in the year two thousand six, that 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 tripped me out. I'm like, there's nobody okay, used Kodachrome so, cameras so this, in two thousand six. This movie seemed like it was put together with the parts of the movie that should have been cut. So somebody took like all the the really cool time travel movie was made somewhere in this universe. And somebody picked up the clippings off the floor and yeah. used that to make a movie. Well, <laughs> it's just I'll, like I'll, I'll boring, like, nonsensical, no character development, just hodgepodge together detective story with some kind of weird time travel element there was like it was just so bad i, I feel like i feel like netflix is so desperate to make content or something that well, they're they, just gonna I mean, green light anything their and, whole model know. is just like green light everything and throw it to the wall and see what well, I, I appreciate, every once in a while they get a stranger things or, or i, I, like I appreciate that they're willing to take risks and stuff i think that the the people who made this movie are more at fault than netflix is because yeah. on paper it seems like a cool movie um, but you know, I mean, just, just thinking about the, the main character's journey here where, you know, um, he's basically the reason why this serial killer, um, takes the job to go back in time and prevent this, this thing. Like he's the one who encourages her to do it. And it, it's just like, you know, if he really wanted to, you know, change things, uh, for his life, like he could have just said like, Oh, don't go. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like that way. I would I wouldn't have become obsessed, and you know we could have had a normal life with my daughter, yeah, and stuff like that. I, like like there, there's there's yeah. so many things that don't make sense it in this movie, and and they the the filmmakers didn't even bother to try to you know do anything to uh, fix that. It was, okay. it was just bad. It's yeah. terrible. So uh, a thumbs down on to in the shadow of the moon. Two thumbs down. Two thumbs down. Three thumbs down. Three thumbs down. <laughs> so stupid. and a big toe. <laughs> Down. All right. Uh, and then we'll blaze through this next little news. We had uh, New York Comic Con drop a couple trailers for some Star Trek fans. And since we are all generally Star Trek fans, at least old school Star Trek fans, uh, we can talk about the uh, Star Trek Discovery. You said something interesting I didn't expect on Twitter. You said that Color Me Curious, which I thought you were just going to pan this trailer as being stupid because I watched it and I was like, meh. <laughs> but you seem to somewhat like it at least. So what's the deal with that? I wouldn't say I liked it. Um I lo- I'm interested to see where they go with this because basically, you know, uh, Discovery jumped ahead 900 years in the future at the end of season two. And this is the first uh, inclination we've seen of how the universe is a thousand years in the future. And uh, was it like 500 years after Next Generation? Something yeah, like that? And Starfleet's dead, right? Well, or it's it's a, a relic of the past. Some, something like that. And what what's interesting about this is like ba- basically now that they're out of the original series timeline, they're free to create new canon. Yeah. 
and all this all this stuff well in in this case (laughs) that's debatable because everything that they do now is going to be you know locked down as like okay this is what happens after you know picard retires to his vineyard you know, type stuff. Yeah, they have a thousand years to play. Around. I mean, that's a long time. They, they do, but but it's it's kind of like you know that time period between the next generation and the original series, where was like, wasn't that seventy five years? Yeah, but what I'm saying is like that time period was filled in, but between the two shows, and so now, like if it was like two hundred years after uh, um, the next generation, like that'd be one thing, but like considering that it's there's so much time in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third season of Discovery and the last thing that we saw from like the the prime timeline, um, it, it it leaves a lot of room for them to mess things up. They could literally put stuff in canon uh, any time in that thousand years that basically ties all anything else oh, yeah. to that. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say like, like all, there... all future Star Trek stuff has to adhere to whatever canon they establish oh, in the, the third season. The fall why can't Starfleet. why don't they just like end this show? Because that's the only way they well, can say they can't that. they can't put it anywhere without I mean if it's bad, right? If it's a bad yeah. show, like the last season was kind of terrible, except for Pike. I love freaking love Pike. Well, I mean, um, this is why I think that the missed opportunity here was instead of them traveling through time, they should have been hopping through dimensions like uh, other mirror universes and stuff that like was that. A cool element. I did like that. Like, like, like that should have been Discovery's thing is, is like they're from an alternate, you know, dimension and they're going through these different dimensions through the spore drive and they're trying to get back home or something like that. But Matt, we don't talk about the spore drive. <laughs> <laughs> the mycelial network. It doesn't exist. <laughs> the midichlorians. Oh, yeah, that basically is what it is. Um, I, I kind of was just didn't really care about the trailer. It didn't do anything for me. I didn't hate it, but I was like, okay, whatever. We'll see. I mean, so like, I, I, I loathe that show. Yeah. Discovery. I watched the trailer one time and I was like, eh, okay. I guess we're going in the future, which we knew we were going to do anyway. And, um, what do you think I, about I, the fall of Starfleet? I, nothing lasts forever. Yeah. Well, I, I think you know, it, it, but, it gives the storyline of like discovery is going to resurrect Starfleet right. and we're going to see the reemergence of, of this stuff. And I'm kind of, so Michael Burnham is there's going to, there's going to be, gonna be statues of Michael Burnham yeah. in San Francisco. I'm, 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 I'm kind of cautiously optimistic. <laughs> for the rather, season. I'd rather be her, her commanding officer. What's the guy's name? The tall dude. Saru. Played by Saru. Saru. I'd rather. No, he's him. a cool character. I like him. He's one of the few things I hate. I like on that show. Season, though, Cause I didn't like his stupid little squig thing. He's well, the guy he really like, had like a spider sense. I'm glad they got rid of those because it, yeah. it was dumb. <laughs> well, well, you know, the, the, the second season was all about kind of getting rid of the more dumb elements of, of the show. It really was. Um, yeah. Season two, the retcon. Yeah, yeah. And now that they're at season three and they're kind of unbound to, uh, you know, what came before them, I'm kind of interested to see what they're going to do with this. However, after watching that that new trailer, like I, I felt very meh about it. Like it, it was, it didn't served to excite me i thought it was just kind of like you know just almost a boring trailer and and you know i did think that it the second season improved the show even though it still wasn't good yeah um but with the new showrunner and stuff like that i want to give this season a chance and if it drops the ball i'm done with it so i'm gonna watch it either way because my my wife loves that star trek she'll watch it no matter what she doesn't really dive into it as far as we do and I get it for free. So I'm going to watch it. As, as far as we know, though, the Discovery doesn't have an actual captain at the moment for Burnham to be insubordinate to, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> is she the captain? Didn't Pike make her the I captain? I think Saru is like no, supposed to be, but Well, they left it up in the air as to who the captain's going to be. So like so the, 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 the ship the ship was left without a captain. Yeah, but it doesn't matter who the captain is because Burnham's just going to talk shit to him anyway. Well, I I, I think so. it would it would make more sense to make her the captain because one of the issues with the previous two seasons was always that you know, in Star Trek, the captain's the one who drives the action forward. Yeah. And when you have your main character be someone other than the, the main catalyst for the uh, storylines, it, it creates issues. Yeah. And, and those are the issues where it was basically the Michael Burnham show where every <laughs> captain was neutered before her. That's right. Uh, her, to make her look yeah, better. Yeah, yeah look I better. totally agree. And I see that that's a huge fault with this show. Um, I want to say one thing. These little Star Trek shorts that they're putting out with uh, Pike and Spock and his first officer, the, they, they just need to nut up and make that a TV show because I will watch that. Did, did you watch the first one? I know the first one's out for this next Is season. it? No, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. So but I haven't seen it. it. It's called... Uh, it's, 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 it's the one about the tribbles, right? They just did a trailer. I don't know. It's oh, an okay. early Spock episode where it's like, oh, yeah, like his, his first day or something like that. Yeah, they need to uh, they need to just do that because I'm, I'm tired of not having... Anson Mount as Captain Pike. <laughs> uh, okay, and then the Picard trailer, which I honestly thought was pretty cool. They uh, they didn't really give too much away about the plot. You mentioned that it kind of seemed like a Mass Effect 2 plot, which I'm like, I'm all right with that. Mass Effect 2 was really good. And, it was basically uh, the same plot as Mass Effect 2. I'm all right with that. Borg instead of those uh, <laughs> those cockroach things from Mass Effect. Uh, yeah, cool. The collectors. Collectors. Let's do it. That sounds fun. And the Reapers. And uh, which are basically the Borg. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Patrick Stewart is fencing. In this yeah. trailer, which was cool. I would like to see that in 89 Fat data. Yeah, yeah, we, Fat got data. Data. we got puffy okay. data. <laughs> I, to, I know people are nitpicking that, but I'm like, come on. What do you guys expect? It's like been 40 years. He's not going to look I the expect- same. Dude, dude there, was, there was a fan deep fake of, of the trailer that made data look like original series they data. They just face swapped him? No, they they just they thinned out his face a little bit. They like yeah, I don't I don't think not, not, not Photoshop. It was it was with like it was video. Like they like, they basically did the trailer, but like instead of fat puffy data, they had they had data that looked like legit, and it was like this is something a fan did in his basement. Yeah, you there's know? there's no that's excuse. That's for the, the thing nowadays with, with uh, technology the and what people can do yeah. with their computers. It's like anything that the studio can do. The fans, if they have enough dedication, so why doesn't do the it? studio do it? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they just don't think. I was it. actually very underwhelmed by the new Picard trailer because I, I I thought the first trailer was actually much better than this one. I mean, I get to see seven and nine kicking butt, which I was I'm cool with. I just dual wielding some. You know, we uh, <laughs> I was happy because you know because we're going to get cameos from uh, yeah. Riker and Troy, but you yeah. know they're going to be in the show. And for let's, yeah, let's be clear, they're just cameos. They're going to be in there and, for. Uh, they one have a kid. Episode. We found out they have a kid. Yeah. Troy yeah. and, and yeah. Maybe maybe in season find, two we'll get Worf. I find it weird that in in a society that's so advanced that everyone seems to just live in country huts <laughs> with like no air conditioning and not everything and new farming. is better. Matt, I would move out of this freaking dust bowl. Well, I would still want like indoor plumbing and, and air conditioning and but 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 even like like if you think about it, so like I know that humanity has moved beyond Earth, but. There can't be that much uh, countryside just available for retirement uh, out there. Like, like whatever happened to living in San Francisco? Or maybe or you know they might not. Maybe they were not on Earth. That's been a thing in Trek for a long time, though. Picard had that vineyard. His whole family had the vineyard yeah. way back in the Next Generation. Yeah, uh, but wasn't that vineyard in France and not California? I don't remember. Yeah, it was in France. Was it? But what's the difference? No. France and California. It's a. It's a. Five minute shuttle right away. This, this is true. It's, it's not a big deal. Instant transporter. Yeah. <laughs> Just transport me over there. Um, but, yeah, no, but, I, I liked it. I, I like the elements. I'm really curious who this new character is that's coming to Picard for help. I'm like, is she 
some kind of relation to him. She has something to do with the board for sure. I think it's his daughter. You think it's his daughter? Yeah. That's a that's a big age gap. Um, well, you know, they, you the she, board got his DNA or something when he was in Locutus. Yeah. They did some, you know, some stuff some in the lab and some clones. Listen, it's a, yeah, um, you know, it's Star Trek. It doesn't matter. Star Trek Nemesis thing again. They're doing that again. Yeah. What's, what was his name? Tom Hardy's character? Yeah, the Romulan. Yeah. Who cares? Shinzong. 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 Yeah. I like that movie. That was Tom Hardy? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Super skinny. What? Super yeah. young Tom Tom Hardy. Yep. It was one of his first big roles. Venom, Road Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Tom Hardy and Shinzong. Yep. I, I don't know why I didn't put that together. <laughs> He's so, he looks so different. He looks Way like a different. little, like, so super skinny. It was weird. And then you see him now. I like him. Uh, I've watched Peaky Blinders, his character, uh, Solomon, in that movie. Yeah, he, that TV he, show. he's the head of the Jewish mafia. Or oh, something. my God. He's amazing <laughs> in that show. He's, yeah, he's so really good. good. He's really good. Um, so, Matt, I don't think I asked you. What do you think about the trailer for Picard? It was a trailer. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't get too excited over trailers anymore. But like I said, it, it had some a couple cool reveals with some uh, fan service and... Um, Looking forward. I'm looking forward to that show way more than Discovery. Yeah, for sure. You know, so definitely. And and I also think that, um, you know, so um, I recently watched this series on Netflix called uh, Unbelievable, which is like a it's a crime show, but it was um, developed and produced by Michael Chabon, who's show running the Picard series. And so, even though I wasn't too excited about this trailer from what I saw. Um, I have a lot of faith in him because he's an excellent storyteller. He's considered one of uh, um, America's great novelists, great living novelists. And, and so uh, after watching Unbelievable, which was a fantastic show. Where is that on? It's on Netflix. On Netflix. Unbelievable. Yeah. It, it's about a woman who's raped and she reports the rape and the police don't believe her and kind of uh, dismiss it. And it turns out she was the first victim of like a serial rapist. And uh, this rapist has like such a bizarre MO that his crimes don't connect. And it's about these two cops who stumble onto this and and get on the trail of this serial rapist. And it was just a fast, it's based on a true story. It was a fascinating show, like really well done. And uh, so based off of that, since that's like the latest thing that he's worked on, I have like a lot of faith in Michael Chabon. I'm hoping that his stewardship of the Picard show is going to be what makes it good as opposed to discovery, which has been struggling the last two seasons. All right. I'm going to talk about the unspeakable. Uh, how many seasons do you think this is going to be? Because Patrick Stewart is getting up there. Uh, three at the most, I think. I think three. I yeah. go two. I'm worried. Maybe two. I'm honestly worried that something's going to happen in between seasons and we're going to lose. If, if they're smart, they'll set it up. So like uh, they could, justify him only doing one season and then carry on with these new characters and if he's still alive like bring him back for the second season but like <laughs> you know set it up so like, like if somebody it, knock on wood that yeah. so nothing happens to patrick Stewart because i love that guy but, yeah. but man he's looking old he's old he's in that show um, when he was fencing like i love seeing that it was super cool but it was very unbelievable <laughs> I, like he, he's almost is he over 80 yes yeah, yeah like he's he's, getting, he's pushing 90 i'm pretty sure you know oh, uh, he, no, he's not that old yeah he's, isn't, isn't he like 82 I think it's older than that. I don't know. Let's Google it. Well, I'll tell you what tripped me up the other day when I was going through some stuff for this was I found out that Brent Spiner is 70. And and, uh, and Frakes. Jonathan Jonathan Frakes is 67. You know, so it's, it's weird. You know, he grew up on that show. Yeah. Wesley Crusher is like And it's like all these guys are like really old. And I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. Who's the guy who played Wesley Crusher? 
Oh, uh, Will Wheaton. Yeah, Will, I don't Will, want to talk about Will Wheaton's that. like ninety years old. He's mm. seventy nine. I'm sorry, you're right. Seventy nine. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was older than that. Born in 1940. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, he's been in so many movies. Oh yeah, like, I he's been acting since he was like a teenager. I think. Yeah, I remember said. seeing him in Dune as a Gurney Dune. Excalibur. I, I couldn't get through that movie. I'm sorry. I tried. And I, was like, I, ha- I know I have to because it's like part of the nerd culture, but I'm like, this is so stupid. Well, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's I mean not like a, if you're a, hard a watch. if you're a student of David Lynch yeah. movies, like I've watched the six hour version of, of that Dune. <laughs> did he do? He did a razor head, right? Yeah, David Lynch. Yeah. I watched that movie and that freaked me out. That was more disturbing than Joker. Like David, these people who are saying Joker is disturbing just haven't seen enough weird movies. <laughs> yeah, Lynch movies are a whole nother level. Like I don't know if you ever watched the Twin Peaks uh, TV series. No. That that show is brilliant, frustrating, and completely off the wall. And it, I love every second of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you would you would probably not like it. Probably I'm not. Apparently I'm not a fan of Lynch movies because he. I just don't get them. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I am either. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're almost their own genre because, like, they're they're just so wacky. Yeah, <sighs> but they're hypnotic. They're beautifully done. All right, so let's uh, let's polish this up and let's talk about what's to come next in October. Uh, Kadish has convinced me to do some kind of horror-ish <laughs> thing yeah, how, since how it's October and yeah, everybody how, has to talk about horror how movies How dare we in talk October. about horror movies and over Halloween? Oh, it's so basic. It's like everybody does it. Man. You're basic. You're basic. <laughs> I don't mind being basic. But uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about... Uh, what was that show called? Netflix? The, Hill House? Ha- Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Hill House. We'll be doing a review yeah, on that one of show. The, one of the greatest TV shows ever made. It's probably, on my top five. Probably closer to the end of the month because I have to watch it all the way through. And I'm. it takes a while for me to do that. And then um, we have... Our, our favorite horror movies. Oh, yes. Favorite horror thriller movies. I don't really have horror horror movies that I like. So I'm probably going to lean more towards like the thriller and suspense. You guys can tackle like the paranormal horror stuff if you want. Um... And that's our plan for October, so hopefully we can... Alex's favorite horror movie, Human Centipede. God. (laughs) I won't even watch that movie. Don't. It's It's disturbing. I I heard the concept of it, and I was like, nope. No, they don't shy away from that concept either, dude. It was messed up. I'm going to watch... uh, Horrifying movie. I'm going to watch The Exorcist for the first time. Yeah, I've seen that. I'm probably going to do it on Friday this week. Okay, have fun with that. Live tweet it, you should. I I think I will live tweet it. You guys need to to to, uh, follow MattVader74 on Twitter so he can live tweet The Exorcist first watch. For all you horror fans mm-hmm. out there, you can watch somebody react to it. I recently just saw the Halloween remake as well. So that, that was when is that franchise going to die? Never. You know, I've, I've, I, I hate to admit like this. Seven? I hate to admit this, but I've never watched a Halloween movie. I neither have I. I, mean, I, it's I don't just, like. That's just not my yeah. style of movie. I don't like slashers. You know, when I think of Halloween movies, I think of uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas, Hocus Pocus. I hate that. I love that movie. <laughs> that those kind of movies, you know, it's just Hocus the, Pocus is such shit. <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's a so, kid movie. I know, but these people, you know, the same thing could be said. Kid movies don't get a pass to be bad. I'm just like, I they don't. They really don't. But you know, so many people if, love that movie. Though. I know. My 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 girl. I just hate '80s movies because I don't like the Goonies either. My my kids had that movie on. Shut up. <laughs> My kids had that movie on nonstop, wore out the disc yeah. when I when they were growing up. So yeah, I get it. I mean, I, I get why people like it, but I'm just it's not my thing. I just don't like October. Well, it's also it's very hard to find good scary movies. 
out I'm there. trying to think what because they're they're hard to do. Most movies just rely on jump scares and yeah, and, that's not know, my thing. stuff like that. I and, thought The Strangers was genuinely like freaky. Oh yeah, I, I like that movie. That was pretty. I saw that at night in my house that I lived in the woods when I was in Connecticut, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that freaked me out. Well, that that's one of the things I really liked about The Haunting of Hill House was like it, it's a genuine uh, horror. Uh, story and is it, it supernatural it is supernatural but it, in, in in the terms that like it doesn't rely on cheap scares it relies on atmosphere and the the, the characters and kind of like the the situation and it's it's not so much scary as it is like tense and disturbing yeah and it it, it it's one of the, those things where mike flanagan the guy who directed all the episodes um just really showed that he's like one of the the great up and coming directors. In fact, he's uh, coming out with Doctor Sleep this month, oh, okay. or, or beginning of November, where it's the sequel to The Shining, one of the greatest horror movies ever made. And I think Mike Flanagan, the the guy who's making it, who also did the Haunting of Hill House series, is up there in terms of like being able to make a worthy successor to a Stanley Kubrick film. Like he, I, I have that much faith in him. Okay, cool. So yeah, that's our plan for October. I hope you guys enjoy your your basic horror talk about movies that are scary, <laughs> and uh, and we'll move from there and we'll figure yeah. out what we're going to do yeah. in November. Yeah, I'm talking about Knives Out all month. Oh, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> even going to watch it. See that movie? Nope, I'm not doing it. I might if it's on Netflix someday. I might watch yeah, it. Yeah, well, yeah, we should uh, every week in November just talk about a different Ryan Johnson movie. There's only like four, isn't there? I'm I'm resigning from my <laughs> <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, I like Looper. It was all right. Shut your dirty mouth. Uh, so what? It was before he was who he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed. And uh, I'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for coming, Matt and Matt. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having us.